Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We'll explore the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learn what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Pat Sims and Laura Paris. Pat and Laura are both Bible study leaders here at First Pres together, and they are good friends. And Pat, you've agreed to tell us a little bit about how you and Laura got to know each other. Laura and I had to think back about 20 years to babysitting days and a crown financial course. But I think what really bonded us is watching our kids perform at a fine arts school and praying together. Uh, over the years, and our mutual love of teaching young children God's Word. How did y'all discover you wanted to pray together? Like, when did that start taking place? I think um, certainly when I came back to Bible study, when a family crisis happened and I felt like I needed connection, Pat was the leader of that study, Mm. um, and she just was quick to offer prayer and wanting to pray together, and I really appreciated that about Mm. Pat. So let's go to our first things, first question for the day, and you're going to answer the question. But before you do, you'll give just a little brief introduction of yourselves. And the first things, first question is, which foreign country did you first visit? So Laura, kick us off. I am Laura Paris. I am married 25 years to John. We both became Christians uh, here at First Press through the singles ministry. Back then it was called Seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that name, Seekers. <laughs> We had we have four children. Zachary is our oldest. He is now a teacher at Westside. Erica will graduate from Georgia Tech in December, and she's going to go to PT school. And then my twins have just launched sort of one. Uh, Trisha is in University of Oklahoma, and Elise will go to University of Georgia come January, and we'll finally be empty nesters. I have the privilege right now of walking along side uh, two families at First Pres being their nanny. Um, and I have enjoyed that very much mutually beneficial to us. And I love to do water aerobics. And John and I have started riding a tandem bicycle as something that we can do together, which is fun and challenging, but not for, you know, the canal is about the limits of that. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> who so, rides in front and who rides in back? Well, I ride in front. And and part of he loves to ride bicycles, but his eyesight has gotten to the point where he mm. can not ride in the front. Mm. So riding tandem allows me to see and him to give us all the power that we. Yeah, need. I was going to say the power <laughs> comes from power. behind. So <laughs> yes. that's right. Yeah, and you can I, steer. Yes, I, I take advantage of the power. For sure, the first country I visited was Canada, and when probably in elementary school years, we probably had three summers that we went to Canada to a um, family resort. Um, and I have great memories of that. And then when my parents had their 40th anniversary, we took all of my family now and um, them and celebrated there. And so it was fun to go back all those years later. Did y'all have a connection with Canada? No. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up close? Uh, well, I'm from Pennsylvania, okay. but it still was probably, I don't know, 14, 14. I was a long distance, but they had friends that went to this resort. And back then the exchange rate was really, really mm. favorable. And so it made it affordable. Anywhere where mom doesn't have to cook or plan meals Absolutely. makes it. Absolutely. 
Amen. For sure. What about you, Pat? Uh, Pat Sims and Brandy and I have been married 38 years and married at this church. God's blessed us with three wonderful children. They are all out west, and I love the great outdoors and reading good books. The first country I think I visited was Mexico um, and had the most probably exquisite camping experience ever there. Uh, We were kind of in the middle of nowhere, big rock formation, night, moonlight, and this the outcrop had these large cavities that were filled with rainwater reflecting the moonlight. It was just a beautiful sight. I have uh, fond memories. It was really more special than a lot of kind of more touristy things you go and see. That's cool. How old were you when you did that trip? I was um, probably right around 19 or 20, something right in there. It made an impression. That's great. I feel like I can't remember, honestly, you both talking about Canada and Mexico. And I, I remember as a child, we would take these, my brother, my older brother loves history. So we would drive up the Eastern Seaboard and visit every national monument plaque across, you know, it's like when you're, you've got young kids, like you're looking for the free things to do. So we'd go to DC a lot. And even into like Amish country, who knows, maybe we saw you there at some point. I don't know, maybe. Um, and we definitely made it up to Niagara Falls a couple of times. That was really impressive. Just what I hear y'all saying, like those memories are etched into my mind, like the rushing of the water, just the volume, like it's so loud. Well, when y'all say that, it makes me think, I, I think when I was thinking country, I was thinking continent because Canada and Mexico did not come to my mind, but I have been. <laughs> Before I went to this place I'm about to describe, I have been to Canada, Niagara Falls, and I have been to Mexico, and I had to drive a group of high school students. I was in college as a youth leader from Colorado to Mexico with a stick shift, oh boy. and I had never driven oh boy. a stick shift before, besides just like, like basic practice. Drift down in neutral all the way to Mexico? It was not pretty. <laughs> yeah, about, that's about what you could do. There were several stoplights that turned red and green. Oh. A couple times before I made it through. And I just laugh now because I think the way that parents my age are now, there's no way they would let a child in a car with a college student who barely knew how to drive it and go to Mexico. Oh, boy. um, Those parents did. (laughs) The country that came to my mind, though, and I'll say it this way, is the first country I have taken a long bike ride. And I do love to ride my bike. And we did this thing called Sea to Sea in England, where you ride from one side of the country to the other on a trail that goes through all of the, not all of the, but several different villages and towns. And so you'd stay in the town, you'd ride your bike and a little company would bring your, your suitcase. They would meet us there and we'd get to enjoy everything that that village had to offer. And then we would hop on our bikes the next day and continue on. And it is a really fun way to see landscape. And England was so pretty, as you can imagine, just hills and sheep and green. And if it didn't rain, it was glorious. But I'm the type of person that doesn't mind some rain because then you get some hot English Mm -hmm. tea as well. And it feels very (laughs) cozy. And the other thing that comes to my mind when I think about England, especially recently, is royalty. We've all been watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth celebrating her life. Several people have taken to learning more of that history, watching the crown, all those sorts of things. And so there's a little bit of a resurgence with us of this interest in the queen. And today we're not going to be talking about Queen Elizabeth, but we're going to be talking about King Jesus, which is what Psalm 72 is all about. So Psalm 72 originally was written either by Solomon or about Solomon, and it was used by the Jewish people 
both with Solomon and afterwards, as a blessing and a prayer for their kings. If you have not read Psalm 72 yet, I would encourage you to hit the pause button and do that now because what you'll hear us say will be more meaningful, will make more sense if you've read the scripture yourself. And as you're reading, what you will find is that there's a configuration of these verses, begins by talking about the characteristics that the Jewish people longed to see and celebrated uh, in their king's rule. And then it talks about how is he going to extend that rule, how he delivers, saves, has pity on the weak. And then it ends with a blessing on the type of king that's described. So we hear in this psalm described the ideal characteristics of a king, the extent and means of his rule, and just the blessing that comes when a king like that is on the throne. Kathleen Nielsen says that Psalm 72 is describing the way of the king. And I think before we can really appreciate what a biblical text is saying, we have to acknowledge that we always bring a bias to it, a cultural bias that we bring to scripture when we read it. And I would say that a fairly prevalent cultural bias for us as Americans is that we don't really think much of a king. You know, even when you think of Queen Elizabeth and King Charles, Queen Elizabeth, there was so much connected to her character that people honored and loved and wanted to celebrate. She didn't have a lot of power, but she did have influence that was very well respected. But with King Charles, he doesn't have as much of that, even positive influence necessarily. Doesn't have a lot of power, just seen sort of as a figurehead. And maybe that's how we view kings. Like, man, we, we don't, Americans, we, we don't want a king, right? We kind of threw off a king. And so when you come to a psalm that's talking about celebrating a king, you kind of have to deal with that first knee-jerk reaction that says, well, what's the big deal about a king? As y'all were thinking about it, what kind of thoughts or opinions come to y'all's mind, generally speaking, when you think about a king? Well, my first thoughts, frankly, are of indulgence and abuse. And that's Mm. probably from the, you know, little, what little history I know. Um, and then there's the warnings that God gave Israel about the downside of earthly kings. Um, but I did come to appreciate standing in a St. Chapelle, if that's how you pronounce it, cathedral in Paris, you know, that only kings can kind of marshal the resources that it takes to build something so extravagant and so glorious. So, you know, there is that part too. That, that helped me kind of get out of the pit of you know, bad thoughts about kings. Yeah. So. The reality of the negative things that can be done as a king, but then the beauty that can be brought about as well. Yeah. I know. I thought about as an American growing up in public school, certainly the, it was kings were bad and the way that we did it was good. But, you know, having a president was the way to do it. But I think, too, I also thought about as We've heard from the pulpit each week about we've been studying about the story of David and we come face to face with his failings and his victories as a king. And so I think I would say that I wouldn't think very positively of a king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much of that resonates. I definitely think of like words like abdicate. That might be the most positive word that I could think of is like, oh, the king has actually left his reign and now there's peace in the land. So that comes to mind. And like you were saying, just indulgent or self-centered, like the rule is all about getting me and wives and property and 
um, yeah, not using your power and influence for good. But Psalm 72 is something totally different. It's filled with beautiful language describing the reign of a perfect king. So what are some of the descriptions given in Psalm 72 about a king and his reign that were especially appealing to you? I loved how in the very beginning it says he will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. So the idea of perfect righteousness and justice. Um, And then it's repeated also, but in verse 13 and 14, it talks about he will help the weak and the needy. And that picture of the least of these, he is going to help. Uh, actively. And then the third thing is talking about how all nations are going to bow down to him. All nations will serve him. All nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. That world peace just seems so far from as we hear about uh, Ukraine and you think about Afghanistan and just all the things in the world, that idea of peace coming through him um, is very beautiful. Well, you bring out that point, too, that when you say all peoples everywhere will be under his rule or will bow down to him, you could think tyrant, right? You know, especially if you think human king, Mm -hmm. one who's only in the pursuit of those sorts of things. It's like, whoa. But and we're going to get here later. We're not talking about a human king. So we're talking about one whose characteristics are he rules and reigns through justice, righteousness and a deliverance, a tenderness, a compassion, a mercy towards the poor and oppressed. And when I was reading the Psalm, I thought, do I think poor and oppressed like me? Like I need a king because I'm poor and oppressed? Or do I just think about uh, a certain economic understanding of poor oppressed, which would definitely be true as well. But just to think that I would need, I would stand in need of somebody to have rule over me compassion, deliverance, mercy on me. It just, it made me think of that when, when you were saying that, Laura, that that's the kind of king. So that kind of king, yeah, we want to rule the whole world because that's peace and justice and righteousness, not tyranny. what do you think, Pat? Yeah. I, how much it was brought out that this king defends the cause of the poor um, and hears every call. I mean, who does that? Um, what authority does that in our world? And, you know, we have a place to go, a sympathetic ear, an all-seeing and all-knowing God who's going to make, who's going to right every wrong. And so it's just like, you know, who is like our God? And and we all are oppressed by sin and death. And, you know, so, yes, I think everybody belongs in the camp of the, the poor and needy. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen, she does in our study, give us several scripture references that show the fact that Psalm 72, even though it's written by, it could be possibly written by King Solomon or for him, it's not ultimately, ultimately talking about him. But like all of scripture, it points us uh, to a greater king, somebody greater than Solomon, somebody greater than David is the great king, Jesus. And the difference is that none of those men were perfect kings. And the Bible doesn't try to paint them like they were perfect kings. And none of them are eternal. They, they both, they've all passed away. And so there's really only one perfect and eternal king. And that's the king, Jesus, that Psalm 72 is talking about. And I think we can all resonate with the fact that none of us want an imperfect or immoral king. And even if he was perfect, we still would wish for an immortal king. But what do you think about 
a perfect and immortal king, do you really want that type of king in your life? Well, I love the idea of God having uh, perfect control uh, because that means that every person I encounter is a person that God intended me, you know, to meet that day. And even though I might not respond in faith or expecting a blessing or to be a blessing, that's that kind of sovereignty really, to me, gives me uh, a purpose and it gives me dignity and gives me hope. I mean, there's like, there's like potential in, in everything uh, because of his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So not so much the sovereignty that just sort of dangles people around like puppets, but a sovereignty that gives dignity and purpose and divine appointments that are significant. Yeah. Uh, when I think of a perfect king and controlling me and the world, I, that sounds great. Sounds like exactly what I want. When, and um, when I first became a Christian, and, and even till now, I would say that one of the verses that has always been encouraging to me is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. I like that he has a plan for me and he, he's going to give me hope. And it's easy to say that until um, things get hard. Yeah. And uh, one of your children tells you that they do not want to live and mm. they want to die. Mm. And it's not just for one day, but it's for 15 months. Mm. They tell you that. Mm. And then you start thinking, do I want this king to be ruling? Do, do I want it becomes different. It becomes hard. Mm. And I have to, you know, just constantly look at his word and believe what it says about his goodness and his mm-hmm. righteousness. And um, but it it's easy to say and it's sort of harder to live that that's really what I want. Mm-hmm. Laura, thanks for sharing so vulnerably. I feel like that is, I mean, we're constantly trying to reconcile what God's word says and that we know that we should love and how we have to wrestle that down or just let the Lord uh, show us that he is indeed good, even in the midst of some really tough circumstances. And even just hearing y'all say like, yes, we want that. And I'm like, oh gosh, should I say on the podcast, like sometimes I want to be in charge. Let's be honest. Like I want to choose the things that I and my short-sighted self think are good and helpful for me and my family. But I think ultimately my redeemed self knows that it is the Lord's kingship that is good and helpful. And we were talking a little bit earlier about the sermon a couple or maybe last week about how our king is the one who came toward us. Like he put on flesh, he condescended to the earth, like our transcendent God wanted to be near us. He went to the cross for us. Like there's no other king like that. So I think sometimes in our tough situations that, yeah, it is hard to see the goodness this side of of heaven. Um, But yeah, we, we trust that he is the good ruler that he has promised. Well, and you, you bring out the, the point that there's a, both of y'all are saying this, that um, there's a surrender of control with mm-hmm. that, that there's a, a dependence on another. And this might be a terrible analogy, but it does make me think that some, maybe sometimes I op- operate like I want to be King Arthur and I want God, I want Jesus to be my Lancelot, you know, that knight in shining armor. So I make the decisions, I come up with the plan and he executes 
right? But it's it's not that. Like I don't get to be in that place where I make the decisions. I call on the Lord, he executes my plan, but that I really am his subject, mm-hmm. that I'm under his plan, his rule. And I just think the more I know him through his word, then the more I can count that's good, even though a lot of times it is by faith in those Mm -hmm. really hard places. But if I don't know his character, if I default to an idea of a king that he is not, then I'm even less prone to want to surrender that. Well, don't worry. When you get older, you'll realize uh, how much weaker you are and how Mm. much control you don't have, and you don't even want it. Mm. Mm. Why don't you want it? Why don't I want it? Yeah. Why be, wouldn't you? Why do? You, what do you realize because, as you get older? I think you realize just our short sightedness, our inability to know what's best for mm. anyone, and you realize mm. how things worked out that you thought were going to be disasters, and other things that you thought would bring you such, you know, happiness went bust. Yeah, those realities. That's so encouraging. All right, so let's hop over to Hebrews chapter one, verse five through nine. It describes Jesus as God, the one whose throne will last forever and ever, the one who rules with righteousness and hates wickedness, the one who has been set above all his companions by his anointing with the oil of joy. How does Psalm 72 also inspire you to think of the Lord Jesus? I think it gives us a, a a place to go to praise him. Um, he is, I praise Lord Jesus because he's my eternal king. He's full of righteousness, full of justice. He's defender of the weak and needy. Um, he rules over the whole world and all kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. Um, and I love the benediction at the end. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Um, Just that picture of the whole earth being filled with his glory is something to focus on. Mm -hmm. That's good. Makes me want to pray, God, make me more righteous. May Putin repent, you know, deliver our children from the oppressor. My prayers um, are so paltry, you know, the scope of Jesus's power is so much greater than my prayers reflect. So, you know, my prayer is, you know, forgive me, Lord, and help me contribute to your fame in greater ways. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so helpful to think that sometimes we could misunderstand the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus. We don't see that suffering and sacrifice as weak, but we see it as saving, but do we see him then in that kingly rule as well? And that that rule extends in my life and in your life and in Augusta and in Georgia and in England and in Canada and in Mexico, you, the scope of it is so large and the power of it is hard for us to wrap our minds around and to think that that exists outside of anything that we've ever experienced or read about in history books, or seen even in the Bible by human kings, the only place we really see that executed perfectly is in Christ. 
So encouraging. Pat and Laura, thank you for talking with Amber and me today. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Press Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Listen in as you go to the pumpkin patch. We will be sitting down to talk with Pam Willis and Shannon Laurier about our need to remember. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.